Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is It Takes a Village, an interview with Dr. Rachel Long. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Dr. Rachel Long. Dr. Long is a naturopathic doctor with a certification in homeopathy. She is also the author of the book, Living in the Limelight, The Challenges and Triumphs of Living Life with Chronic Lyme Disease. She is a sought-after public speaker and the owner of a restaurant. Rachel Long's Lyme disease journey began at the tender age of four years old. At Thanksgiving of that year, she became ill and was unable to walk. Her doctors settled on a misdiagnosis of meningitis despite failing to find an organism to support their diagnosis. Between the ages of four and 16, she was often sick and considered fragile by her family and friends. At the age of 16, her fragile condition became chronic and she lost over 50 pounds in 45 days. Following her weight loss, she became wheelchair and housebound, receiving one day of homeschool instruction per week. Her family sought the assistance of many medical professionals, and she was finally diagnosed with Lyme disease by a doctor in Philadelphia. Unfortunately, her healing plan required Rachel to visit the Philadelphia-based doctor a three-hour trip from her home, five days a week, for 56 treatments. Because Rachel's parents could not maintain their jobs and take off the time that Rachel's treatment protocol required, her community came together and developed a team of family, doctors, teachers, and church members to drive Rachel to Philadelphia for each of her treatments. Good morning, Dr. Long, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So, Dr. Long, can you share with our audience uh, where you're from? I'm from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Did you grow up in that community? I did. I did all my life. <laughs> where were you educated? Sure. So, I started with Penn State, and then I fell ill again in college. So, I transferred to Liberty University online. Um, and then I went through my bachelor's there, got my master's there in public health, and then went to Trinity University for my MD. And after becoming licensed in PA, I decided to get certified in homeopathy. And now I'm doing my PhD and uh, studying cells and mitochondrial behavior. And are you currently working? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I operate three different businesses. Could you share with our, our listeners what your three businesses are? Sure. So I have a restaurant. Um, that was the first. That was my first business before I really got into the wellness arena. Um, then I offer, or I have a wellness center that I operate six days a week. Um, and then I go on book tours and just, you know, different public, public speaking events with aloe vera gel and different supplement companies. So that's, that's a whole other side note. <laughs> uh, what is the uh, title of your book? It's called Living Life in the Limelight. And if our listeners wanted to uh, read that book, where would they be able to find the book? Um, it's available on Amazon. Can you share with us a little bit about your speaking uh, engagements? What type of speaking engagements do you do? I do anything from like a work conference or um, I've done churches motivational, you know, motivational speaking events. It, it just depends what people are looking for, or what they want. You kind of have to cater that to, to your audience. So Dr. Long, because tick diseases are family diseases, we ask our guests to share their relationship status. I'm single. Now, uh, during the course of the time that you began to suffer the symptoms of your tick disease, what was your, what was your family setting like? Uh, normal. I mean, I had my mom, my dad, my sister, just going through life, two teenage girls, and just your typical American family. 
So Dr. Long, when did you first begin to exhibit the symptoms of a tick disease? Well, when I was four, I was diagnosed with meningitis and encephalitis, but they couldn't find the organism. And I always had little issues with my health here and there. Um, nothing really made sense. But then at the age of 16, I lost 50 pounds um, and developed a sudden milk allergy. And when we went to the ER, um, they informed my parents that I was anorexic and that my heart rate was 32 beats a minute. So, so Dr. Long, what was your childhood like between the ages of four and the age of 16? Really great. I can't complain. Um, I, like I said, I did have odd health struggles off and on. So, you know, I went to the doctor for my TMJ and I, I went to another doctor for um, growing pains in my knees and nothing really added up. There were just different symptoms. And now, again, looking back on it, I should have known, you know, all along. Did your symptoms have an impact on your social life during your childhood between the ages of four and 16? Yes. Oh my goodness. When I was, I, I look back now, when I was in gym class, um, we would play, you know, baseball or basketball. And there were certain things that I would have friends do because I just couldn't do it. And it was embarrassing. So I felt like I always looked like the weakest link and I was sick a good bit. So I would be out of school and mom and dad, you know, couldn't figure out why. And they just thought, well, it's just, she's fragile. How did the symptomology of your tick disease impact your family? How did it impact your mother, your father, and your, and your sibling? Well, my mom was, she is a registered nurse. So from her standpoint, you know, she really didn't know a lot about Lyme disease at the time. It was kind of kept quiet. And, you know, she always thought, well, she's just, she's just fragile from when she had that episode at four years old. My dad, he was, he was just caring in general, and he, he always took care of us. And my, my sister, she, I think, got a, a little jealous at being a young kid, um, watching me get all the attention, being sick. Uh, it did cause some struggles with us, but it, it was just childhood, you know, normal childhood behavior, not understanding why your sister's sick and getting all this attention and presents and things from other people. Now, Dr. Long, did you have much of a social life with friends and participate in outside activities during the course of that window of time between the ages of four and 16? I did. So I did piano, um, ballet. I was involved with band, um, different church groups. And I was pretty active um, when I could be. Other, You know, there were sometimes I just had to sit things out or I couldn't attend events. But again, I always felt like the weakest link. So I... I didn't put two and two together. Now, d during the time that you were dealing with your, your sickness during your childhood, did that have an impact on the goals that you had set for yourself? It did. Um, I, I think I was always a perfectionist and not meeting that level of, you know, not meeting the bar that I wanted to hit was very discouraging. And it did play with my mind a good bit throughout the years. Did the challenges that your tick disease presented to you cause you to believe that you weren't able to keep promises that you wanted to make to either friends or family? Oh, I had to break commitments and promises all the time, and I hated that. You know, you want to go out on a Friday night with your friends, um, and you can't because you're just not feeling up to it, or they don't understand that you're just tired and you don't know why. In many cases, children are, are mean to one another. It's a sort of part of childhood. Do you think your tick disease caused you to be the victim of maybe mean behavior from other children that you were in a face with during your childhood? 
Uh, I mean, you could say that, but I, I think kids are kids. When I was in a wheelchair, I did have an incident where, you know, people, people talked about me, but it wasn't kids, it was adults. So, <laughs> What period of time were you in a wheelchair? Did this take place during your childhood? It was during my teenage years, mm-hmm, when I was 17, 18. So let's move forward. I, I, I've been asking you questions about the time in your life between 4 and 16 when you had various forms of undiagnosed illness. What was your life like as a teenager after you had um, gotten sick? Uh, and I'm, and I, I just want to explore the social elements of, of, of your life. What, what had happened when you turned 16 and you got the diagnosis, and how did your, how did your symptoms develop? Um, well, I, I developed a milk allergy, lost 50 pounds, and then my heart, my heart rate was dropping. So we couldn't find any hospitals or nearby treatment centers that would take me on. And I remember my mom and dad, I told my dad the night prior, I said, dad, I'm going to die. I can feel my heart just, it's, it's going out. And that morning, then my mom and dad both took off and started to search for people who could help us. Um, and we found Dr. Bracha in Philadelphia and they had said, bring her, bring her tomorrow at eight o'clock. So we had to make a commitment with them uh, five times a week. I would travel to Philadelphia, which is three hours away from me and I would receive IV therapy. Dr. Long, you mentioned that your mom was a registered nurse and that some of your doctors were saying that it was just anorexia and it wasn't anything else. Did your mom uh-huh. believe that or did you know that there was something deeper and continue on fighting for a real identification of the root cause? Being a mother and a registered nurse, I think she worried when they did tell her that and presented us with the papers at the ER. Um, but she knew there was a deeper cause because I was eating the weight loss came on so suddenly. I mean, it was about a month and a half. I lost 50 pounds, which is abnormal. And for them just to be so ignorant and brush it off, you know, she, she saw that, but being in her field, she said, why I have to at least consider this because the doctor said so. So she did watch me for a while as any mom, you know, should, but I think she always knew that it, it was something more. How did it make you feel as a teen to be diagnosed with a psychological disorder that you knew was not a true diagnosis? I felt crazy. (laughs) I don't know how else to describe it. I sat there, you know, I wanted answers and I wanted help. And I was afraid because I was losing weight and I was eating and my heart was so slow and I didn't feel well. But for someone to label me so fast, and I honestly never even met the doctor that night. The nurses just were, you know, caressing me and saying how beautiful I was. And then the doctor dropped off paperwork saying I was anorexic. So there was no evaluation or consideration of the entire case. What impact did the change in your appearance have on your social life? It did. When I was going to school uh, in the beginning, this was the beginning of the school year, it happened. My friends questioned but they knew that I was suffering, you know, from something and I, would, I just wasn't feeling well because I had always said, I, I just feel so tired and sick. But I had that core group that really did support me. Uh, we were at the age yet where we couldn't drive and we didn't have cars. We were just getting our permits and whatnot. So it was still, I felt isolated when I did have to make the decision to stay home and travel to Philadelphia for treatments. So, Dr. Long, how many doctors did you see before Dr. Brachia, who finally diagnosed you with Lyme disease? Oh, my. I don't even know. It was so many. Um, we worked closely with my pediatrician 
And I saw, you know, numerous specialists throughout the years from four years old up. But my pediatrician said, um, you know, there's something something new in this area, and it's not new, but it's new in this area, and another family has it, and maybe you should consider it. We can test her. My mom goes, okay, test her, and it was, that was for Lyme disease, but it came back negative, so we never really pursued it. We were looking at other diseases. And that was your pediatrician who did that? Yes. So at what point did you guys pivot from seeing your pediatrician and all these specialists to eventually finding Dr. Brachia? How did you find Dr. Brachia who ultimately saved your life? It was really a miracle <laughs> because I went from my pediatrician to not having answers. And then we went to the ER to be an anorexic. And within a couple of days, we called, you know, CHOPs and different, different hospitals out of the area. And none of them would take me on. And this doctor in Philadelphia, my parents just found the number and called. And my dad said, I don't know what led me there, but I just called. So can you walk us through what it was like for that first appointment when you went in and saw Dr. Brachia and how that interaction was with the doctor and then what tests he ran for you after that visit? Mm -hmm. So we, we just went over my history and what was going on. He did an EKG on me and lots of blood work. I don't even remember anymore. It's all fuzz. But when we were on our way home from Philadelphia that night, it was like 8 o'clock at night, and he called and he said, you need to turn around immediately because her heart is it's failing. Um, and that's when I re received treatment right away of Rosefin. Did your doctor at that point believe that you had Lyme and that's why he treated you with Rosefin? He did, yeah. And was that based on solely clinical observations? I believe so. And just everything leading up to that point, we gave him my entire history and everything that was you know, happening prior. And once you went back and you started getting the IV antibiotics, the rosefrin, what was that like? Did they put a pick line in? Can you walk us through that process? Yeah, I had a pick line. And then five days a week, I received the rosefrin. And were you in the hospital at this point? Or were you doing this outpatient at home? No, no. My family and I, we had to have volunteers five days a week because my mom and dad wanted to continue working since everything was out of pocket. So volunteers would drive me to Philadelphia every day. And you just mentioned that everything was out of pocket. So even your IV therapy was not covered by your insurance? No. So this, this disease must have taken a huge financial toll on you and your family as well. It did. It did. Have you ever thought back to try to tally up how much this disease has cost you? Oh, my probably over $200,000. So now that you're going back for these rosefrin treatments through an IV port that you had a pick line put in, did you begin to feel better? Did you start to feel worse? Can you walk us through how you felt when you started the initial treatment? No, I started to feel better within probably a month. My heart rate came up, blood pressure came back to normal, and I gained all my weight back within probably two months. Typically, Lyme patients, when they go through hardcore antibiotics like that through an IV, they experience a Herx reaction. Did you experience mm -hmm. anything like that? I did not. Not at the time, no. Do you have any thoughts as to why you didn't have any Herxes? I'm not sure. I just know my body was already so weak, and I literally believe I was dying at that point. I think the antibiotics helped me and kept me alive, even though they did, you know, they did hinder my gut health and and things further on down the road, it, it kept me alive. So you just brought up a good point that the antibiotics really can destroy your gut health. 
did your doctor at the time warn you about that and ask you to take any sort of supplements or probiotics or, or anything to help strengthen your immune health and your gut health while you were getting these strong antibiotics? Yes, I was on enzymes, probiotics, just different things, certain diets, but from the heavy dosing, you know, it was kind of expected. So all of this was based off of a clinical diagnosis. Once you started the treatment, did your doctor decide to run a blood test to see if you had a positive test, even knowing that they're not very accurate? Yes, we would do testing every week. And then finally, we got a positive uh, Western blot. You mentioned that you ran the tests every week. Did you get more than one positive? No, I had one positive. And how long were you on these antibiotics for? Well, I went through three pick lines, and I was on antibiotics for probably over three years. And was that three-year period a continuation and an improvement of your health, or did you have ups and downs throughout that period and have fluctuations? No. Yeah, so initially on the Rosefin, I did well. I gained my weight back, my strength back. But then it was like after stopping the Rosefin, that's when I ended up in a wheelchair and with all these allergies. And then it was just a continual cycle. So when you stopped the Rosefin, what antibiotics did they put you on next? Um, doxycycline. So you went from the IV antibiotics to oral antibiotics? No, no, this was doxy through the pick line. Let's, let's walk through this, this three, almost four-year window of you having a pick line in you and getting these IV antibiotics. What did you think throughout this? Did you think that you were going to be cured? Did you think this was going to be a lifelong illness? How are you feeling throughout all this? Um, I, you know, I don't remember. I just know that we were hopeful. And I think that because it was such um, a disease that people didn't recognize yet. We were hoping that there would be more options, but there just wasn't much out there. So I want to learn more about your allergies. You mentioned when you were 16, when you first became symptomatic, you developed a milk allergy. Do you believe that that milk allergy was related to your Lyme disease? I do. I think it was just the overall impact from my weakened immune system from Lyme for so long, and it all just reared to a head. And as you developed these new allergies after you went off the, um, the first antibiotic and went on the IV doxycycline, what were these new allergies that you developed? Uh, I had corn, nuts, gluten. At what point did you decide that the antibiotics weren't really working anymore? And what were your next steps? Well, my mom had said, I feel like we're going in circles. So we went to another doctor and he said, okay, well, we're going to do, yeah, it was hyperbaric hyperbaric and I forget what else but he then found that I had a tapeworm so once I passed that then certain symptoms left and then we just kept going to different doctors it was like they were sending me no one really knew so I was always being sent to someone else <laughs> how did you feel that the hyperbaric oxygen therapy did you feel that was an effective treatment to help with some of your symptoms somewhat to an extent and was that more of a temporary relief, meaning that you felt some relief after the treatment, but then it just sort of would come back? Yeah, if I would have kept up with it for some long periods of time, religiously for certain days a week, I think it would have been more beneficial. But we lived out of the area from where that doctor was. So I would go, you know, just a couple times here and there when I could. Dr. Long, I'd like to focus on the impact that this disease had on your social life between the ages of 16 and when you went off to college. Did I understand correctly when I heard you say that you stayed home, that you stopped going to school during your high school years? Yes, I was put on homebound instruction. So I would have a tutor come in once a week. I had friends that would tutor me or help me out, you know, in the evening. Um, but most, most of the learning I did on my own. 
And what impact did that have on you emotionally, not being able to go to school and have interaction with peers your own age? It was so hard. <laughs> so hard. I felt isolated. But it sounds like you had a really strong community of people who were also interested in helping you and your family because you had folks bring you to your doctor's appointments during the course of, uh, of the week, correct? Oh, yes. We had a whole lineup and different people would volunteer. I had even teachers I had in the past volunteer to take me. So it, it was a great sense of community in that way. Now, how did that make you feel knowing that your community came together to, tr to try to help you and your family get through these very challenging events in your life? Really, it's beautiful because, you know, we, we think people are all about me and, and we hear such bad things. But when I was going through something like that and people really did come together and improve themselves and show that they cared for not just me, but my family, it, it, was, it was such a blessing. Now, were these people who were coming to help you out part of a faith community or are they just part of a general community? Well, there some people, again, were from the church, from, you know, my school, my mom and dad's friends, just all over. And did your relationship with God and your church help you through these challenging times that you faced during your childhood? Yes. I think that was part of some of the miracles that did occur because some of the things we just, it was amazing how we stumbled upon it or came across it. So I, I truly believe that, that that God had some intervention. Dr. Long, while you were receiving this IV treatment and trying things like the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, did you do any other protocols for detoxing? Uh, I did Epsom salt baths, but really I didn't do anything further. We didn't know holistic or natural things to do. It was more antibiotics and, you know, they put me on just a bunch of medications and supplements. So at what point now you started to go to these other doctors after you're on this IV antibiotic and it's just not really being effective. You're starting to go to other doctors and then there's this sort of change to a holistic approach. What brought you okay. to a holistic doctor that you ultimately found to change the way you were treating your Lyme disease? Well, I wanted to go to school for osteopathic medicine at Liberty University. And when I realized because of my allergies, I couldn't even get to the campus. Um, I would react to molds and different chemicals. So I, I thought there has to be something I can do to get over this hurdle. And that's where I really started to dive in on, you know, the natural world and herbs versus homeopathics and things, things of that sort. And did you ultimately find a homeopathic doctor to treat you? No. Was this more of a, a self-treatment based on your, your learning and your research of, of your own that you decided to take this, this herbal and holistic approach? Well, I studied under different doctors' protocols, and I, I read tons of books, and Trinity did offer, you know, a small small little portion of homeopathy, but really I went out there on my own because homeopathy inter really interested me as far as the cell, and I knew that that's where, from science class in high school, you know, your mitochondria were and the secrets lied. So I thought if maybe I can boost my cells, maybe something there will happen, and that's that's really what transferred my mindset to pill taking and even herbs to more of a, a cellular level. So can you walk us through what you discovered from studying under these doctors and, and your research and what treatment protocols you started to do on your own that really helped you regain your health despite the, the failing approach that you did with the antibiotics? Sure. So I, I implemented homeopathy, different, you know, different forms of that. Um, I did ozone treatments on myself, 
and that was through the sauna. And then I changed my diet drastically. And I, I really, I, I had to just be content and learn that mindset was part of it too. I know that sounds maybe a bit like a quack, <laughs> but I had to say, okay, you know what, right now I'm going through this, I'm going to get better. And these are the things I need to do as a process to get me to this point. You mentioned that you did your ozone treatment through a sauna. Can you walk us through what that treatment is like, you know, so our listeners can understand what that actually is? Sure. So ozone is just an extra molecule of oxygen. Um, we're not supposed to make claims, but when we hear of ozone, you know, machines and what they do in other uses, they kill pathogens and, you know, different, different organisms. So, Seeing the sauna, I, I didn't believe in it at first. I thought, well, it'll just be good to detox. But I noticed when I was running, you know, biofeedback reports on myself that with the number of ozone treatments I was doing, pathogens were, were dying off faster. You, you mentioned it's in the sauna. So you, you're, you're literally sitting in a sauna and it's just, it's an atmospheric thing or is this more of a, a, a blood type thing? No. So you're, you're enclosed in this chamber. Your head is sticking out you infuse it with steam and then oxygen and then you you turn on the ozone and you're sweating immensely so it just opens up the pores and the ozone goes into the pore and can help remove those pathogens so you mentioned earlier that you really started to study the cells and the mitochondria and how that has a huge impact on healing your body as a whole can you talk more about that sure so anytime that you replicate a cell in the body you're replicating mitochondria mitochondria you know, if they have a diseased mitochondria or a sick person that has diseased mitochondria, when you replicate that cell, you have a diseased cell. Thus, you're always going to have a state of disease in the body, where if we can focus on mitochondria, clean the mitochondria, and replicate healthy cells that are disease-free mitochondria, you really get a, a well individual. And I'm going to back up because I think a lot of our past guests have also used ozone therapy, but I believe they've actually, they've done it with a blood treatment. So they actually take their blood out. It gets treated with ozone and oxygen and it goes back in to oxygenate and purify the blood, which sounds like right. a different approach than what you did. So with your, you know, with, now with your medical background, can you talk to the differences between the two approaches and why you went with your approach versus the blood approach? Sure. I didn't want to do the blood approach. I thought it was a bit too invasive a bit too risky. And I like the thought of, you know, removing things through the lymphatic system, but also taking care of that cell at a deeper level. Because if we just go through the blood, it's kind of like treating the pathogen, um, where I really was focusing on the cell with the homeopathic approach and the ozone to kind of pull things through the lymphatic system. And you know, that's an important note that I think we've learned recently is the importance of the lymphatic system in being able to heal and recover from Lyme disease. So can you talk more about what the lymphatic system is and why it's so important in the healing process? Sure. So with the lymphatic system, you know, in your skin, your skin is your, your largest organ that you're going to detox from. And when we can get things moving from that, your body can do miraculous things on repairing and healing itself so then you should let the liver and kidneys and the lymphatic system do the rest of that work the ozone just kind of manipulates it a bit and helps it go through those channels and from what we understand here at tick food camp the lymphatic system can actually store some of the bacteria and it kind of gets stagnant and if you if you don't have a, a moving or a functioning lymphatic system then the bacteria just stays there and can replicate is that is that accurate exactly 
And once you start getting that moving again, you can then sort of to, to kill off this bacteria and get it, get it eliminated and removed from your body by detoxing, right? Right, right. So after you pivoted from this antibiotic and what, what I'll call a Western approach, and you went more into home, homeopathy, do you feel that that was really a game changer that really helped you recover your health? It did because, you know, I'm, I'm a naturopath. And looking back on it now, I, I did everything I could with herbs in the beginning. And I still felt like herbs were that Band-Aid approach, kind of like the medications where they got me through to a point, but it really didn't take me that step further. And I was sitting in my office one day and I thought, man, I do not feel well. And I feel like this is not fair to the people I'm seeing because I don't feel well. So when I dug deeper into the homeopathic realm, then I realized, okay, I think this is where the secret is because within a matter of weeks, I felt so much better. And within two years, I was doing things I haven't done in a long time. So I really want to learn more about what actually helped you the most. If you had to look back and say what treatment you did, what homeopathic treatment you did worked the best, what would you say that was? Well, like I said, I, I did various protocols and everybody's different. So there's no one protocol that's specific for a person. It's really when I, when I did the biofeedback and I looked at my report and saw what I needed to address at each point, then that got me, got me through each round. So I did rounds of, of just, you know, homeopathic protocols. But again, no, no one person is the same. And I can't say this protocol helped me more than this. It was, it was just a blend of everything. And when you mentioned the biofeedback, can you walk our listeners through what biofeedback actually is? Right. So it's just reading, you know, the wavelength of the body in general. And some people can take it with a grain of salt. I firmly believe in it now going through it. With the biofeedback, it gave me a personalized remedy each time for which homeopathics I needed or which supplement I absolutely required. And it just helped me dig deeper into the cell and, and really, you know, fight what I needed to fight. Can you give us an example of one of the biofeedback readings that you, that you did, what the outcome was, and then what you did to sort of attack that problem? Well, I'll give you an example. I have um, a little dog who's a client, and with them, we, we did multiple testing rounds on the biofeedback, and it, it was Babesia and different Borrelias. So we followed a protocol that that pulled for specifically for those pathogens and they were put into the drops, the, the homeopathic, custom homeopathic. And then the dog, the dog was, you know, of that pathogen, it, it was free within about eight weeks. So it was really neat to see that move. Now there were other things that, you know, the body, the little dog's body had to work through, but that was something that responded fast. The homeopathic long-term when you're working through different pathogens and, and molds and heavy metals and things in the body, it takes time, but it's super catered. And that's what I like about the biofeedback. Right. So how we understand it here at Tick Bootcamp about homeopathy is it's more of a personalized approach. So based on the observations and the tests and the studies done on the patient, you then prepare a customized, what I'll call tincture, which is really just like a, a drop that maybe goes in sublingually under the tongue. And then you use that customized tincture to then help resolve some of your issues. Is that an accurate assessment or at least a generalization of homeopathy? Yes. And that's one part of it. And then, like I said, you do have your different protocols, different medicines, um, homeopathic medicines that can go alongside that. So if, 
if you have that custom blend, then you know that the person needs the X, Y, and Z of other homeopathic medications. You can have them taking them, or they might require a supplement that goes along with that. But I don't like to, to give too many things. I think most everything can be done with that custom drop. So obviously today you're running a successful medical business. You're, you're a naturopathic doctor. You have written a book. You do public speaking. You're going back to get a second doctorate. I mean, I think the answer is probably implied, but how are you feeling today? Wonderful. I haven't felt this good in a long time. And I, I will admit, I get to the point where I do run myself down. And I think it's a matter of pacing myself. And I blame it on, you know, I'm, I'm reliving everything I missed all those years. But I don't want to put, put myself back at square one. But I do feel well, and I, I rarely, rarely have a sick day. If our listeners were to find your Instagram page, they would see a very fit person. My, my thoughts when I went onto your Instagram page is that you're a very beautiful and fit person. And, and I'd like you to give our listeners sort of the contrast between what you looked like and what you felt like during that window of time when you were really sick and how that began to change so that you could become the person that you appear to be on your Instagram page today. Uh, well, in the beginning, I was very frail. I weighed 88 pounds. Um, and then, you know, once I gained my weight back and went through more IV treatments and got in the wheelchair, I gained a lot of weight back. I was probably, you could have labeled me as depressed at that point. And I was very unhappy with myself. Finally, when, when I had the, the point of, I can't do this anymore, I need to figure something out. That's when I started to, you know, change my diet and change the way I looked at life. And just in general, I changed everything. So I made it a goal to work out three times a week, made it a goal to eat clean, to really take care of myself, drink my water, you know, do things that you have to do in order to stay well and be well. When did you make the decision to begin your fitness regimen and your nutritional regimen? I always was involved in fitness. I loved working out since I was 15. When I was sick, very sick, I stopped doing that. And then once I was 20 years old, I started to get back into it again. Can you talk to us a little bit about how this experience has transformed you first physically? What kinds of changes did you make in your life and what kinds of professional choices did you make as a consequence of this journey that you were on? As far as personal changes, you know, like I said, the diet, I, I changed my diet. I changed my lifestyle. You know, there's things that I won't do and people might look at me like I'm crazy, but I, I just choose not to because I know that if I, if I keep doing negative things, it's going, to, it's going to hit me the wrong way. Professionally, I thought with being in this industry, I thought, you know, people are going to think I'm crazy. They already do. I have Lyme. People are going to think I'm a quack. Like, I was so worried about what people thought, and I fought with it for so long and didn't want to go on this route. But when it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be, and my practice blew up within a year, and people are being transformed, so it's super exciting. Dr. Long, let's talk about those internal changes that have occurred as a consequence of your tick disease journey. One of the things you were clearly concerned about is what other people thought of you, and you've shared with us that that has changed. What caused that change in your perspective or your worldview? Uh, you know, you reach a point where you go, you can't worry about what others think anymore. You have to take care of you. Those that love you and that are around you are going to stay by and they're going to support you and they're going to understand. 
not always, but most of the time. So to really, really just focus on what I needed to do to get better so I could help others, that was when I made the change. What impact did this tick disease journey have on you spiritually? I questioned God a lot. And I remember when I was younger, I I told my mom, I said, why does God let me go through this? (laughs) And she said, well, why not you? And I never understood that. Uh, And now looking back on it, you know, I see this as a blessing because not having gone through this onset of illness with Lyme, I don't think I would have ever gotten to this point today and be able to help people the way I am. The last transformation that we see with all of our guests is there is a sort of presentation of sort of superhero-like powers that people gain after they have a tick disease battle. And one of the things that we see is that our guests learn a great deal about ticks and they learn about how to protect themselves and their family members from ticks and tick diseases. So I'm going to ask you the question, if someone close to you called you and said that they had woken up this morning and they were bitten by a tick. What advice would you, as somebody who's had this transformational experience, give them so that they wouldn't get sick? Um, Well, first, you carefully remove the tick, and then you send it off for tick testing. And then I would tell them they need to go to a medical professional right away and demand, not ask, you demand for 30 days of doxycycline to counteract that bite. And if they don't give it to you, then you tell them you have acne and you need doxycycline for 30 days for your acne. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Dr. Rachel Long. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Long and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at the underscore Rachel underscore Long, or you can purchase her book, Living in the Limelight, The Challenges and Triumphs of Living with Chronic Lyme Disease on Amazon. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast, please share it with your friends and family by using the social media button you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created the Tick Bite Blueprint that is inspired by the information that we have had shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review of this episode on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.